This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is learning and creativity. In the first half, James D. Gordon III shares his address, The Joy of Education and Lifelong Learning. Then in the second half, Claudine Bigelow speaks on creativity. I'm happy to be here with you today. I remember when I was a university student. Like some of you, I had trouble deciding what my major should be. First, I thought about majoring in economics. That way, if I couldn't get a job after I graduated, at least I would understand why. (laughs) Then I thought I might major in physical education. I went down to the gym to lift weights, but the laughter made it difficult to concentrate. (laughs) I sampled some classes, but I didn't always do very well. For example, I took a photography class. I just about went crazy trying to take a close-up of the horizon. (laughs) The teacher in that class gave me an F-. He said that giving me an F would be unfair to the people who failed normally. I studied chemistry, but I thought that there were only four elements on the periodic table—earth, air, fire, and water. I thought that fire had three electrons in the outer shell. Then I thought about studying math. It's been reported that 60 percent of Americans cannot do basic math—60 percent. That's nearly half. But we shouldn't laugh, and most of you didn't, and I appreciate that. (laughs) Seriously, I would like to speak about the joy of education and lifelong learning. Life is a test, and life is also a school. The Lord has invited us to seek learning. He said, Seek ye diligently, and teach one another words of wisdom. Yea, seek ye out of the best books words of wisdom. Seek learning even by study and also by faith. He commanded early Church leaders to study and learn and become acquainted with all good books and with languages, tongues, and people. Three reasons that we should learn are to develop personally, to increase our ability to serve others, and to be prepared in all things. Brigham Young said our education should be such as to improve our minds and fit us for increased usefulness, to make us of greater service to the human family. President Monson taught, Your talents will expand as you study and learn. You will be able to better assist your families in their learning, and you will have peace of mind in knowing that you have prepared yourself for the eventualities that you may encounter in life. Learning helps us to be prepared in all things. The Lord said, Teach ye diligently, and my grace shall attend you, that you may be instructed more perfectly in theory, in principle, in doctrine, in the law of the gospel, in all things that pertain unto the kingdom of God that are expedient for you to understand. Of things both in heaven and in the earth and under the earth, things which have been, things which are, things which must shortly come to pass, 
things which are at home, things which are abroad, the wars and the perplexities of the nations, and the judgments which are on the land, and a knowledge also of countries and of kingdoms, that ye may be prepared in all things. When I send you again to magnify the calling whereunto I have called you and the mission with which I have commissioned you. Being prepared in all things includes being prepared for the world of work so you can provide for yourself and your family. It is a great privilege to study at Brigham Young University. You have the opportunity to learn in an environment that is consistent with the principles of the gospel. Being a student here is a position of trust. As you know, the Church pays for much of your education. You have the responsibility to study hard, to obey the honor code, and to prepare for future service. Hopefully, throughout your life, you will look back on your time here with fondness and you will cherish the memories. I would like to offer some advice as you pursue your education here. I hope that I don't sound like Polonius giving advice to Laertes in Shakespeare's play Hamlet, especially when I remember what happened to Polonius. <laughs> I'm not referring to the fact that he was killed behind the heiress, but rather to the fact that over the centuries he has been portrayed by literally thousands of bad actors. <laughs> First, do your best in school. You might recall a story about a person who was asked to build a house. He decided to cut corners, use cheap materials, and do a poor job. When he was done, the owner handed him the key and said, I'd like to give you this house as a gift. Attending the university is like that. You can work hard and do a good job, or you can cut corners and do a poor job. Be fair with yourself by giving your best effort. I encourage you to work diligently, to learn a lot, and to prepare well for the future. Second, do things to enrich your education, like having a mentored learning experience with a faculty member, publishing an article, doing an internship, working in BYUSA, or participating in a student club. Perhaps you can be a teaching assistant or a research assistant or participate in a performing group. BYU offers so many opportunities to develop and grow. When you look back on your education here, these extra activities will have special meaning. You might participate in intramural sports. Personally, I am not very athletic. I tell my students that I played football in high school. They had a play designed especially for me. It was called Pencil Neck Right. You know how BYU uses the run to set up the pass? Well, Pencil Neck Right was used to set up the injury timeout. <laughs> when I was in high school, I was in the chess club. I tell my students that I had a rook on my letterman's jacket. Do you know what it says when you walk around campus with a rook on your letterman's jacket? Don't mess with me, pal. Checkmate. Third, give service. It's important to fulfill church callings and to perform other service. Why Serve, the Center for Service and Learning, located in the Wilkinson Student Center, offers many opportunities to serve in the community. 
Service is important for its own sake, and it helps you to keep a broader perspective and to stay balanced. Fourth, make friends. Even though your classmates are not as good-looking and not as humble as you are, they are bright, good, and interesting people. The friendships you make here can last throughout your whole life and can be a particularly sweet aspect of your university experience. Take time to make friends. When I was in high school, I didn't have many friends. Once I told my dad that the other kids were giving me a hard time about my religion. My father sat down next to me, and in his fatherly way, he said, Son, it doesn't matter what race you are or what religion you are. There will always be people who don't like you because you're irritating. Fifth, attend devotional and forum addresses and other events such as academic presentations, concerts, plays, and art exhibits. These are wonderful opportunities. Sixth, enjoy your university education. It's exciting, fascinating, challenging, and fun. The secret to happiness is not to look forward to some future time when all your problems will be solved. The secret is to be happy today. There is joy in learning. In some Hebrew schools, a special ceremony occurs on the first day of class. The teacher places a drop of honey on the cover of a book and gives the book to the student who licks the honey off. The symbolic message is that learning is sweet. Learning can also be challenging. Sometimes the learning curve is steep. When we are acquiring new knowledge or skills, we may feel uncertain and we may make mistakes. However, being stretched means that we are growing. If we ask Heavenly Father in prayer, He will increase our ability to learn and help us to overcome our challenges. Hopefully, your university education will provide a foundation for lifelong learning. The aims of a BYU education statement provides BYU should inspire students to keep alive their curiosity and prepare them to continue learning throughout their lives. BYU should produce careful readers, prayerful thinkers, and active participants in solving family, professional, religious, and social problems. Thus, a BYU diploma is a beginning, not an end, pointing the way to a habit of constant learning. In an era of rapid changes in technology and information, the knowledge and skills learned this year may require renewal the next. Therefore, a BYU degree should educate students in how to learn, teach them that there is much still to learn, and implant in them a love of learning by study and also by faith. The most important area of lifelong learning is spiritual learning. We seek answers through prayer. We read the scriptures regularly so that they become part of our lives. Reading the scriptures reminds us of the Lord's commandments, the covenants that we have made to keep them, and the blessings of the gospel. Studying the scriptures also invites the Holy Ghost, which guides our decisions and helps us to learn. Elder Russell M. Nelson said, Faith is nurtured through knowledge of God. It comes from prayer and feasting upon the words of Christ through diligent study of the scriptures. 
Regardless of one's opportunities for formal education, a person can engage in lifelong learning. Here's a photograph of my grandfather, Jim Gordon. His parents were Scottish immigrants. He was only able to finish the eighth grade before he went to work. In this photograph, he is standing next to a delivery wagon that he drove in San Francisco when he was a young man. Automobiles replaced horse-drawn wagons. Later, my grandfather became a mechanic. He brought books about diesel engines home from work, and he read them. Eventually, he became the supervisor over all the diesel equipment for a substantial company. Although his opportunity for formal education was limited, he kept learning on his own. His most important learning experiences occurred when, later in life, he decided to enter the waters of baptism and to receive the blessings of the temple. When my grandfather was young, he drove a horse-drawn wagon. However, his world changed. During his lifetime, he flew in passenger planes and astronauts landed on the moon. Your world will change, too. Many of the changes will be positive and exciting. Others may present challenges. Will you be prepared to meet the challenges that will arise during your lifetime? We need to continue to learn throughout our lives. President Hinckley told graduating BYU students, We live in a world where knowledge is developing at an ever-accelerating rate. Drink deeply from this ever-springing well of wisdom and human experience. If you should stop now, it will only stunt your intellectual and spiritual growth. Keep everlastingly at it. Read, read, read. Read the Word of God in sacred books of Scripture. Read from the great literature of the ages. Read what is being said in our day and time and what will be said in the future. Personally, I love to read. I tell my students that my first job was as a proofreader in an M&M factory. <laughs> you have your own patterns for reading. One thing that helps me is that my wife Nadine and I belong to a book group with some friends. During the school year, we meet almost monthly. We take turns. A couple chooses a book, hosts the book group in their home, leads the discussion, and serves refreshments afterwards. We have read books about a wide variety of subjects. I had never even heard of many of these books before, but I have enjoyed reading them very much. In addition, I have always enjoyed words. When I was a boy and I would encounter a word I didn't know, sometimes I would ask my father what it meant. He would reply, Look it up. My father usually knew the answer, but he wanted me to learn how to look words up. So I would open the dictionary that sat on the bookshelf in our living room and look the word up. Later, I wanted to learn more words. One summer, my friend John Tanner, who is now a BYU English professor, and I worked as groundskeepers at the Oakland, California Temple. On some days, we would each write five words and their definitions on an index card and put the card in our shirt pocket. Then we would share the words and use them in sentences during the day. My favorite word from that summer was halcyon. It means calm, peaceful, tranquil, or golden. 
As we pulled weeds and performed other physical labor on the beautiful temple grounds, we would exclaim, Oh, those halcyon days of youth! <laughs> now as I look back, I see that they really were halcyon days. In our busy lives, how can we make time to continue learning? I believe in consistent, incremental progress—small steps over time. For example, a person doesn't learn to play the piano in a single day. One must practice daily for several years. After many small increments, one can eventually play hymns, popular songs, or classical music. Lifelong learning is just like that. We need to schedule some time each day to study the scriptures. We can also read a little in other books regularly. We learn line upon line and precept upon precept. Elder Dallin H. Oaks and Sister Kristen M. Oaks wrote, There are few things more fulfilling and fun than learning something new. Great happiness, satisfaction, and financial rewards come from this. An education is not limited to formal study. Lifelong learning can increase our ability to appreciate and relish the workings and beauty of the world around us. This kind of learning goes well beyond books and a selective use of new technology, such as the Internet. It includes artistic endeavors. It also includes experiences with people and places, conversations with friends, visits to museums and concerts, and opportunities for service. We should expand ourselves and enjoy the journey. There are two issues connected with learning about which we must be careful. First, learning can lead to pride. In 2 Nephi, Jacob wrote, O oh, that cunning plan of the evil one! O oh, the vainness and the frailties and the foolishness of men! When they are learned, they think they are wise, and they hearken not unto the counsel of God, for they set it aside, supposing they know of themselves. Wherefore their wisdom is foolishness, and it profiteth them not, and they shall perish. But to be learned is good if they hearken unto the counsels of God. President Ezra Taft Benson taught, Pride is the universal sin, the great vice. The antidote for pride is humility, meekness, submissiveness. It is the broken heart and the contrite spirit. Humility opens our hearts and minds to learning. By contrast, thinking that we already know everything impedes our learning. King Benjamin taught that a person needs to become as a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him, even as a child doth submit to his father. Second, we should expect that at times apparent conflicts may arise between secular learning and gospel principles. The gospel encompasses all truth. Here is a photo of President George Albert Smith speaking at the groundbreaking of the Iring Science Center at BYU in 1948. On that occasion, he said, I want to say that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints accepts all that is true in the world from whatever source it may come, with the knowledge that it originated with the greatest of all scientists, our Father in Heaven. And so I congratulate the students of this great institution, BYU. 
to think that you have all advantages that the people of the world have, plus the advantages of faith in God, a belief in the power of our Heavenly Father and His inspiration. The aims of a BYU education statement provides, Students need not ignore difficult and important questions. Rather, they should frame their questions in prayerful, thoughtful ways, leading them to answers that equip them to give a reason of the hope that is in them and to articulate honestly and thoughtfully their commitments to Christ and to His Church. When human knowledge and the gospel appear to conflict, we should remember that human knowledge is limited. Eternal truth is not limited, but our understanding of it is incomplete. After this life, if we are worthy, we will understand all truth. Meanwhile, we seek answers to faithful questions. We study, ponder, pray, and have patience. We exercise faith in God. He blesses us with greater knowledge, understanding, and peace in our lives. We should be humble about what we know and what we do not know. An angel appeared to Nephi. Nephi wrote, And he said unto me, Knowest thou the condescension of God? And I said unto him, I know that he loveth his children. Nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. We do not know the meaning of all things, but we do know that God loves His children. God's wisdom supersedes human knowledge. Elder Oaks wrote, We are commanded to seek learning by study, the way of reason, and by faith, and by faith the way that relies on revelation. Both are pleasing to God. He uses both ways to reveal light and knowledge to His children. But when it comes to a knowledge of God and the principles of His gospel, we must give primacy to revelation, because that is the Lord's way. We should also remember to put the gospel, not our academic discipline, first in our lives. Jesus said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. This is a wonderful time to be on the earth. There are so many opportunities for lifelong learning. If we do our best and seek Heavenly Father's help, He will strengthen us beyond our natural abilities and help us to learn. That learning will enable us to develop personally will increase our ability to serve others and will help us to be prepared in all things. I testify that the gospel is true. Heavenly Father lives and loves us, and Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is learning and creativity. We've just heard from James D. Gordon III. After the break, we'll return with Claudine Bigelow for Creativity.
This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is learning and creativity. Next is Claudine Bigelow, a BYU professor of viola and associate director and graduate coordinator for the School of Music at the time of this address, titled Creativity. Today I want to explore the topic of creativity and the spiritual connection it can help us have with our Heavenly Father. While it's an attribute we often associate with the arts, it's an important tool for finding our inner artist for every discipline at the university. The scriptures teach us Heavenly Father is a profoundly creative being, and He has made us to be that way too. Creativity helps us bring light to the world and our relationships and to find deep and satisfying joy. President Dieter F. Uchtdorf encouraged us to be creative at General Conference in 2008. Quote, the desire to create is one of the deepest yearnings of the human soul. No matter our talents, education, backgrounds, or abilities, we each have an inherent wish to create something that did not exist before. Everyone can create. You don't need money, position, or influence in order to create something of substance or beauty. Creation brings deep satisfaction and fulfillment. We develop ourselves and others when we take unorganized matter into our hands and mold it into something of beauty. You might say, I'm not the creative type. If that's how you feel, think again and remember that you are the spirit children of the most creative being in the universe. Isn't it remarkable to think that your very spirits are fashioned by an endlessly creative and eternally compassionate God? Think about it. Your spirit body is a masterpiece created with a beauty, function, and capacity beyond imagination. But to what end were we created? We were created with the express purpose and potential of experiencing a fullness of joy. Our birthright and the purpose of our great voyage on this earth is to seek and experience eternal happiness. One of the ways we find this is by creating things. You may think you don't have talents, but that is a false assumption, for we all have talents and gifts, every one of us. The bounds of creativity extend far beyond the limits of a canvas or a sheet of paper and do not require a brush, a pen, or the keys of a piano. Creation means bringing into existence something that did not exist before. What you create doesn't have to be perfect. Don't let your fear of failure discourage you. Don't let the voice of critics paralyze you, whether that voice comes from the outside or the inside. The more you trust and rely upon the Spirit, the greater your capacity to create. That is your opportunity in this life and your destiny in the life to come. As you take the normal opportunities of your daily life and create something of beauty and helpfulness, you improve not only the world around you, but also the world within you." End quote. Creativity is an essential part of my life, something I've had to study and inspire others to find. It's a trait I hear a large number of people claim they don't have. But in my work, I have grown to believe that every human being is capable of cultivating it. I've seen it bloom and develop in countless people who thought they would never find it. I have also needed creativity in parenting and strengthening my family life. Bringing imagination to every experience makes life fun. 
What is creativity exactly, and how do we find it, especially if we feel we don't have it? I like President Uchtdorf's definition. Creation means bringing into existence something that did not exist before. I would like to take a broad view of creativity here. What kinds of creativity are you best at? Are you a maker, a thinker, an innovator, or a problem solver? Does your creativity shine most with your hands, your mind, or your heart? We learn of Heavenly Father's creativity in Genesis, in the Pearl of Great Price, and at the Temple. The Book of Abraham says, quote, Thus I, Abraham, talked with the Lord face to face, as one man talketh with another. And he told me of the works which his hands had made. And he said unto me, My son, my son, and his hand was stretched out. Behold, I will show you all these. And he put his hands upon my eyes, and I saw those things which his hands had made, which were many, and they multiplied before mine eyes, and I could not see the end thereof. End quote. The second chapter of the book of Moses should sound familiar. Quote, and it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Behold, I reveal unto you concerning this heaven and this earth, write the words which I speak. I am the beginning and the end, the Almighty God. By mine only begotten I created these things, yea, in the beginning I created the heaven and the earth upon which thou standest. And the earth was without form and void, and I caused darkness to come upon the face of the deep, and my spirit moved upon the face of the water, for I am God. And I, God, said, Let there be light. And there was light. And I, God, saw the light, and that light was good. And I, God, divided the light from the darkness, and I, God, called the light day, and the darkness I called night. And this I did by the word of my power. And it was done as I spake. And the evening and the morning were the first day. End quote. And so the story of the great creation unfolds. The story I have just read includes the spiritual creation of the earth, the sun, the stars, plants, trees, vines, herbs. God made whales of the deep, fish and fowl of the air. He made cattle, beasts, and creeping things. This great event concludes with the creation of human beings. We read of the physical creation of Adam and Eve in the book of Abraham, quote, And the gods took counsel among themselves and said, Let us go down and form man in our image after our likeness, and we will give them dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So the gods went down to organize man in their own image, in the image of the gods to form they him, male and female, to form they them. And the gods said, We will bless them. And the gods said, We will cause them to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. We will give them life. End quote. The story of the creation informs us that our Heavenly Father and His beloved Son are deeply creative beings. We are taught in these verses that we are made in the image of our heavenly parents, but also in their likeness. In other words, we are also deeply creative beings. We are meant to create, and this capacity is eternal. 
We were creative in the pre-existence and are meant to be so here on earth. From everything we learn about the hereafter in the scriptures and in the temple, we will continue to live intensely creative lives. Think about what we can take with us to the next life. All we get to bring are our talents, knowledge, experience, relationships, and creativity. Creativity is therefore enormously important to cultivate. The plan of salvation teaches us that the pre-existence was a time when we were thinking, creating, and problem-solving. We know that we had to make choices. One of the most important was that we chose to follow the Savior in the council in heaven. What other evidence do we have of our creativity before we came here to earth? If we look closely at the scriptures, we find radiant bursts of creativity from angels in important moments through time. A good example of this is the birth of our Savior. Luke tells us, quote, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men, end quote. I don't think it's far-fetched to assume that praise was heavenly music. I believe with all my heart that heavenly host included all those who love the Savior and whose hearts resonate with Him. What I'm trying to say is, I think we would have been included. If you could have been there, would you have? I wouldn't have missed it. The veil is thin for me on that experience. I can almost touch it in my memory. Every Christmas, when we raise our voices in song— Our joy must have been abundant in that moment. The heavens overflowed. I have had the blessing of living a creative life at home and in my work. One of my jobs here at BYU is to cultivate creativity in others, to find and nurture their inner spark. What does a person need to be creative? Some of the markers I see are curiosity, eagerness to learn, courage to be innovative, and a willingness to work hard, a desire to be a problem solver, and the ability to learn from mistakes. These are the same tools required to excel in just about any discipline at the university. Problem solving is a legitimate form of creativity and a tremendous skill. Ingenuity has been required of the prophets and their families. Noah, Nephi, the brother of Jared, and their families all had to build boats for epic trips that challenged their survival. They had to build unique vessels, unlike anything they had needed before. It's safe to assume that none of them were professional boat builders. It's possible they felt inadequate for the job at first. But these families placed their confidence in the Lord and went to work. We know that Noah was particularly challenged to make his fit the varied animals of the earth— I've often wondered about the curious logistics this would require. How did he collect and store food? How did he keep prey safe from predators? How was the vessel compartmentalized to fit everything it needed to? Noah's creativity was constantly informed by his willingness to be reliant on the Lord. In Nephi's case, the task would have seemed nearly impossible. When he was asked to build a ship, his first concern was he didn't have tools or even know a source of metal ore from which he could hone some. But Nephi persevered by seeking inspiration and guidance every step of the way, and he got the task done. The brother of Jared's story in creating vessels is touching to me because of his great desire to have light in them. 
He knew this was not only a practical desire for his people, but also something that would help them have the psychological stamina to survive the trip. The Book of Ether tells the account, quote, And he cried again unto the Lord, saying, O Lord, behold, I have done, even as thou hast commanded me. And I have prepared the vessels for my people, and behold, there is no light in them. Behold, O Lord, wilt thou suffer that we shall cross this great water in darkness? And the Lord said to the brother of Jared, What will ye that I should do, that ye may have light in your vessels? For behold, ye cannot have windows, for they will be dashed in pieces. Neither shall ye take fire with you, for ye shall not go by the light of fire." The brother of Jared went to work. The next chapter of Ether continues the story, quote, And it came to pass that the brother of Jared, now the number of vessels which had been prepared was eight, went forth unto the mount, which they called the Mount Shalem, because of its exceeding height, and did molten out of a rock sixteen small stones, and they were white and clear, even as transparent glass. And he did carry them in his hands upon the top of the mount, and cried again unto the Lord, saying, O Lord, thou hast said that we must be encompassed about by the floods. O Lord, thou hast given us a commandment that we must call upon thee, that from thee we may receive according to our desires. Behold these things which I have molten out of the rock. And I know, O Lord, that thou hast all power and can do whatsoever thou wilt for the benefit of man. Therefore touch these stones, O Lord, with thy finger, and prepare them, that they may shine forth in darkness. And they shall shine forth unto us in the vessels which we have prepared, that we may have light while we shall cross the sea. Behold, O Lord, thou canst do this. We know that thou art able to show forth great power which looks small, to this understanding of men. And it came to pass that when the brother of Jared had said these words, behold, the Lord stretched forth his hand and touched the stones one by one with his finger. And the veil was taken off from the eyes of the brother of Jared, and he saw the finger of the Lord. End quote. This remarkable passage reveals a number of things. The brother of Jared is having a direct conversation with God. Additionally, there is a creative collaboration on display. The brother of Jared found a solution to solve his problem and collaborated closely with the Lord to make it work. The Lord helped the brother of Jared because of his tremendous faith. This collaborative problem-solving experience helped the brother of Jared to know the Lord more completely. The verses later in the chapter teach us that the level of faith the brother of Jared demonstrated was so extraordinary that the Lord could not withhold anything from him. Interesting patterns I have observed in our time are that modern studies frequently prove principles of the gospel to be true, and this particular topic is no exception. Current studies in popular culture teach us that collaboration is one of the most fruitful ways to inspire creativity. I won't belabor those references right now, but just remember this. We are stronger when we work together. We are even stronger when we invite the Lord to be a part of what we do. Studying the many cultures of the earth inspires my own creativity. 
One of the great privileges of my life was to take my family to New Zealand for six months in 2012. What a great adventure we had. While there, I learned about the customs, language, and art of the indigenous people, the Maori. The Te Papa National Museum in Wellington had a remarkable exhibition while I was there called Kahu Ora, or Living Cloaks. It focused on Te Kakahu Maori, which translated means Maori cloaks. It was one of the most beautiful commentaries on creativity I had ever seen. You may still see the supplemental material for the exhibit online, even though it is no longer on display. With a keyword search using the word kakahu, you will be able to find the website dedicated to the exhibition and learn more of what I speak. Maori cloaks are a labor-intensive craft. Think of the story of the little red hen who plants the wheat, grows the wheat, harvests the wheat, grinds the wheat, and then makes the bread. The art of making cloaks is a harder job. It takes about two years to make one that is a masterpiece. The work is all done by hand. The weaver needs to grow and prepare the harakeke, or plant, into fine strands. Then the weaver will braid, weave, and twine it into a fabric, usually a large rectangle, to drape around the body. They frequently add feathers, such as kiwi, for every stitch. This can mean thousands and thousands of feathers. It also means the weavers have to track down the birds to get the feathers. They don't kill the protected birds, rather, they have to search for the fluff shed in the course of a normal life. It's a long and drawn-out venture. The cloaks are admired for their design and beauty, and weavers are considered great artists and are highly valued. I was personally most interested in hearing the weavers speak about how they see more than the physical creation of the cloak in their work, but a kind of spirituality as well. The weaver primarily sees aho, or connection. She sees how the fibers come from harakeke, a plant from the earth. She sees how she has coats the fibers of the plants to connect together to make the cloak with warp and weft. She sees the significant time of her life dedicated and connected to the cloak. She remembers the whakapapa, or genealogy, of generations of weavers who kept the art alive to teach her how to make the cloak. She sees the connection of these weavers to Hine Te Iwa Iwa, the spiritual guardian of weaving childbirth in the cycles of the moon. She sees the love of her ancestors, paired with her own love, woven into every stitch of the cloak. It's no surprise that Maori weavers believe all of this will connect with the person the cloak was made for and offer protection to the wearer. To give you some background about why I am so touched by cloaks, you need to know that I'm crazy about handwork. All textiles interest me. I'm an avid knitter, embroiderer, and quilter. I love to work with my hands. I am a maker. It's hard to explain why I'm good at it, but it's almost like I have a genetic connection on a cellular level with all of the generations of grandparents that have had these same gifts before me. My fingers just know what to do. I feel aho, or a connection to the Maori way of thinking about creativity. I feel warmth, comfort, and connection to my ancestors who had these same talents, and to God who gave them to me. I feel at peace with handwork because I'm doing what I was created to do. There are moments it feels sacred to me. 
It's hard to explain to others how I feel about my creativity, but I found it expressed in a painting. I'm grateful the artist Brian Kershiznik gave permission to share it with you today. The artist calls it, She Will Find What Is Lost. For me, this painting is a wonderful expression of how we can receive inspiration. It resonates with how I feel when I'm being creative. Another key to finding creativity is to seek diverse experiences that are enriching and that will fill you with light. Doctrine and Covenants, section 88, verse 11, quote, And the light which shineth, which giveth you light, is through him who enlighteneth your eyes, which is the same light that quickeneth your understandings, end quote. What practical applications can creativity have for you right now in this moment? What can you do to turn on the switch for creativity? I have a bit of advice. Study the creative thinkers, doers, makers, innovators, and problem solvers through time. It's impossible to study everyone, but pick a few you're drawn to, such as those in your field of study. Heavenly Father has sent astonishingly gifted spirits to be beacons of light for our world. There are aspects of their work that can always teach us and transform us. Albert Einstein, Mother Teresa, Galileo Galilei, Mary Cassatt, Michelangelo, Anne Frank, Ludwig von Beethoven, Madame Curie, Dmitri Shostakovich, Jane Goodall, Madeleine Langle, Copernicus, Florence Nightingale, Gregor Mendel, Jane Austen, Leonardo da Vinci. I could go on and on. If we tried to collectively make a better list than this, which I'm sure we could, we would find the list to be almost endless. So much light has been sent to the world for our benefit and learning. The great Creator blesses us in so many ways. He creates magnificent and diverse spirits. Find your sphere, your niche, your specialty. Trailing clouds of glory do we come is how Wordsworth describes our journey here to earth. We all come with particular gifts. Your time here at the university is a tremendous opportunity to discover, study, and develop those personal gifts. Study at your desk, but also seek lively conversations with your peers and professors about the questions you have, the things you want to know. Ask them about the questions that burn inside of them. Have the courage to get to the bottom of questions in your field. Bore deep to find what still needs to be studied. Have the fire in your belly to see things through, even when you're tired of the experiment. You will excel in your field when you are truly passionate and articulate about it. Be an artist in your discipline. Beware of paralysis from criticism. Creativity and learning need some freedom. Allow for time to get in the groove and time to teach muscle memory. Sometimes it is our inner critic that is the greatest enemy to our own growth. Sticking with a critic doesn't get us past the stop sign. It's difficult to move forward with that kind of negativity. Learn from your mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. Instead of chastising your mistakes, study them. Be curious. My students will laugh when I tell you this, but I teach them often to say, Thank you, mistakes. 
I make them say it out loud and smile when they say it. Turn off the critic and turn on the teacher inside of you. When you study your mistakes with patience and love, you can identify what needs to change and how patience will bring the malleability you need so you can improve and move forward. This will also be the moment when you're magnified. Parenting has taught me that mistakes are fine and part of the process of learning better than any other experience. We would never scold a five-year-old for falling when learning to ride a bike. We cheer for the movement forward. We help the child get up, dust off, and try again and again. Every person deserves that same courtesy, even yourself. The university is also a rich environment in which to learn about things outside of your comfort zone. In my experience, these are crucial places that may stimulate your creativity most of all. Be hungry to learn your discipline, and when you're done studying for the day, learn about other things in your free time. Never stop reading, listening, and looking for evidence of divine light. Connect and collaborate with others who have different talents to enrich your experiences. This light will help you see your discipline with new eyes. Here are some scenarios to get you started. If you're a painter, Provo's the perfect place to take up hiking. And don't forget to take a friend passionate about geology or botany with you so you can learn more about the stunning landscape as you cover it. If you're a chemist, make friends with the people who love to cook in your ward to deepen your understanding of how and why things work in your kitchen. Your knowledge and a dose of chemistry can help them, too. Cook together and share your creations with someone that is in need of good cheer. If you're an engineer, make sure you visit the Museum of Art regularly and take a date that has artistic sensibility for fun conversation. Engineering and art are a perfect pairing, as demonstrated in the recent MOA exhibit, Folding Paper, The Infinite Possibilities of Origami. If the only symphony you have ever listened to in your life is the one you heard when an orchestra visited your grade school, then you really need to expand your horizons. Take the time this Sunday to listen to something you're pretty sure is a masterpiece, such as Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. The Music and Dance Library and HBLL will have one for you to check out. Avoid earbuds and find a good stereo for a private place and turn it up a little louder than you think you should. Lie down on the floor so you're not only listening with your ears, but you can feel the floorboards shake. That's what it feels like to be in the middle of a viola section. Not only will it resonate strongly in your heart that way, but will have the potential to be a spiritual experience. Become a concert-goer if that experience inspires you. If you don't like it, it doesn't mean it's bad music. It means you don't understand it yet. Campus has hundreds of concert opportunities for you to choose from. Seek to understand. For musicians, I have a different assignment. Get to the physics lab and learn about the amazing sound room. If you are studying nursing, try going to the theater to study matters of the heart, to fill your mind with beautiful words, ideas, and conversations. It will help you interact with your patients. If you're studying law, have a party on Martin Luther King Day with history buffs and celebrate by having a few speakers talk about the civil rights movement. The list is endless. Think outside the box. Find a discipline on campus you're curious about 
and your creativity can lead you to know what it is that you need to do. University life can be challenging. I understand that. If your mind hurts from studying and your heart hurts because your mind is stuck and you don't have time for any of the above, then just step outside. Mount Timpanogos will always be there to greet you. A small break to smell the roses will clear the air and remind you of the great creator. There will always be something in nature to stimulate creativity in your heart and mind if you look for it. Creativity has an almost magical property that I found best stated by the poet Maya Angelou. Quote, you can't use up creativity. The more you use, the more you have. End quote. The Doctrine and Covenants teaches us this is truth. Quote, that which is of God is light. And he that receiveth light and continueth in God receiveth more light, and that light groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. End quote. If you don't feel you have an ounce of creativity, then go to the Lord and petition him. Creativity is your birthright. He will help you find the ore to make the tools. He can magnify you beyond what you ever thought was possible. He will help you to meet the full measure of your creation because it's everything he made you for. He will not only show you your gifts, but we learn from the story of the brother of Jared that he will be able to reveal himself to you if you come to him in faith and invite him to be a part of the collaboration. Inviting creativity into your professional and private lives is worth searching and striving for. Don't ever give up. There is someone here that needed this message. I know this because I spent a great deal of time trying to write a different talk, but I was continually directed to pursue this subject instead. I hope these ideas find the person they were meant to find and that they pierced your heart to know your value. Please know how much the Lord loves and cherishes you, for I have felt it. I have a strong testimony that being creative is one of the most important things we have come to this life to practice. We are here to have familial relationships, make good choices, gain a body, but also to find our soul, or what Wordsworth calls our life's star. May you be illuminated to find your internal angelic being that courageously chooses the Savior and to come to this world by discovering and illuminating your celestial self. May you, in turn, illuminate others to find their own light. May the Lord bless you as you discover your creativity and spiritual gifts and strive to become who you were always meant to be. You will know it is the right path when your journey brings you closer to Him. I have an abiding love for my Heavenly Father, the great Creator, and His Son. Their love, artistry, and creativity are endless, as I hope ours someday will also be. I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Learning and Creativity, with thoughts from James D. Gordon III and Claudine Bigelow.
Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.